I would like to introduce Anthony Renato. Thank you so much for coming out, yeah, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Anthony is a former collegiate baseball All-American and a national champion who's played professionally for eight seasons in uniform for Boston, Texas, and Chicago, as well as overseas for the Korean Baseball Organization, which I did not know existed before <laughs> I met Anthony. I don't, think I, did. I don't think I did before I went over there. Yeah. Either, so. After his baseball career, Anthony started a podcast called The Up and In Show, where he interviews individuals at the top of their craft about the disciplines needed to perform at the highest level with a focus on sports, performance, and business. In 2020, he co-founded Cards and Culture in Baton Rouge. The shop is a culture connection point and collectible shop for sports cards, memorabilia, sneakers, streetwear, arts, and more. And it aims to connect a community through education and storytelling. Uh, let's give a brief round of applause for Anthony. I feel like you need the round of applause for that <laughs> intro. That was just gassing me up the whole time. That was nice. That was good, right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and start off with community. So I keep noticing that as a point in a lot of the things that you mentioned and in that bio, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how did you come to realize the importance of that? Was it something that hit you early in life or is that something that you kind of grew into over time? I guess the word community probably took a different shape in my life. It was probably team, right? And like that kind of stuff growing up is um, I had teammates, but then there was a community around that, right? Like there was fans. And I guess mm -hmm. that would be the way that you could say community. Um, but as I transitioned out of baseball, I realized how important that word was, right? Because with business, friendship, family, all that stuff, it's still based around a community or you you identify with a community. Um, so when I started, really the community word started with F45, which is my fitness and wellness gym that I invested okay. in. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of was the first thing. And then once I understood that, that franchise and how successful they are with the word community and the community they built among fitness and wellness and that kind of stuff um, is kind of what transitioned to me into that cards and culture of like, I already have the podcast and I've built a cool little like foundation amongst this stuff. Um, how can I transition this into business? And that okay. kind of stuff? So you kind of picked up some of it from baseball and then some of it from after. I think, yeah. What do you think is the magic, like the secret sauce, if there is such a thing or what makes for compelling community? Mm. The people, I, I guess, the value that you bring to the community, right? Um, and kind of like, I guess, what you were talking about in the beginning of, I liked what you said, you said, make friends, not contacts, right? It was like kind of the third mantra of that. Um, and I think that's more of the, the line, right? Is if you were coming here and everybody felt your energy of like, hey, I'm just here to connect so that way I can give you my business card in case I need a phone call, right? Like there's a different energy there versus like actually getting to know you, your story, where you're from, your background. Um, and to me, that is, the thing that's most important to me in community is trying to understand people and be willing to empathize and have compassion for maybe what they're going through, right? And yeah, and that's why I was so important with the gym, right? There's a lot of barriers to going to a gym, and you know, I'm I'm a former professional baseball player. My mm -hmm. partner is a former professional baseball player. Our trainers are all high-end trainers. You know, there could be an intimidation factor there, but it was important for me to put that wall down um, and create that comfortability. And I think that's big in community. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you have the idea of connecting with people, knowing their stories. Does that look really different for cards and culture than it does for the gym or is there kind of a common thread between the two of them? That's a good question. Um, I think there's commonality between the way that you treat people in general, right? And the professionalism and 
Um, when somebody walks in the door, that's an experience for them. And so for me, that's important, whether it is Cards and Culture or F45, right? They come in the door and I want them to be greeted. I want them to feel welcome and I want them to feel like they're a burden. Um, and then when they walk in the gym too, I want them to have that guard down, not like, I don't belong here. <laughs> Everybody, you know, like everybody's in great shape. I'm, I haven't worked out in a year. Uh, they're all talking over there, right? Like I want to make sure we put all those barriers down. And that, that comes from a place of empathy and compassion, right? Yeah. Like of trying to think what it would be like walking in a gym not knowing people, right? Same thing walking in a card shop of like, man, there's a lot of art on the wall, there's memorabilia, <laughs> like, you know, that could be overwhelming for people. So putting that, that, that kind of barrier to entry down. So would you say for both of them, the commonality is like lowering the bar to entry or welcomingness? Yeah, I would say that. Okay. And I think too, I've learned that in my life and I've chosen to get tattoos, but I'm six foot seven also, and I have some intimidating features, but I, yeah. think, I think something that I like to do is like, People might make assumptions of me or see me or make judgments, right? But if, I think if you spend time to get to know me, I'm probably a lot less intimidating. I'm pretty pretty nice and probably too nice to people, I think, as I, you know, as I go in life. Um, and so that's something I wanted to carry over into business, especially things that could be high-end memorabilia and think that it could be outpricing a market or a gym too, right? Like I'm not a workout person. I'm not a class fitness person. And I don't care about my wellness or health and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Since you brought up the tattoos, I'm going to take a detour. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have a favorite one and what's the story or meaning behind it? So right here I have, uh, it says Renato and, it, and it's my family crest. Uh, it's a funny story actually. So when I was a kid, when I was like seven or eight years old, my grandfather had like all the, you know, like things on the wall. And his big thing was everything here is for my family. Like, so <laughs> name your claims, you know, all that stuff. So I remember one day it was like Christmas, you know, big family gathering. And I went up to my grandfather, I took something off the wall and it was this nameplate that he had carved on wood. No and I way. found it in this random room and I brought it to him and I was like, Papa, I was like, when you die, I want this, you know? And like my family just thought it was the funniest thing ever, the way that I said it, you know, all that stuff. So it was our inside joke. And he had this <laughs> plaque on the wall forever, like with, and I have it to this day, like in my oh, house, wow. yeah, in my house. And it's, he used to label everything in his handwriting. And it was like, he wrote, uh, Anthony requested this when the day comes or whatever, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and so that's how he labeled it in the house. So I was like, and he hated tattoos. So right before he died, like, you know, I was like, I got this tattooed on me and, and it was, it was meaningful to me. And yeah. I brought tears to his eyes. He thought it was really wow. cool and stuff. And for me to see how he kind of like shifted his ideas amongst tattoos because of something so meaningful. I was like, that was pretty cool. So this, this has a lot of meaning to me for, for that. And he was, um, really big on the importance of our last name and yeah. carrying yourself the right way, you know, leaving a legacy. And, and he, I felt like he put a lot of not pressure on me, but stressed the importance of you're the first one to go to college and graduate. Mm. You're the first one to do something bigger than what everybody else in our, we were all butchers and construction workers, yeah. you know, like stuff like that in my family in New Jersey. Um, so he kind of was like, you have this opportunity to do things and take pride in your last name and the way you carry yourself and, and that kind of stuff. So this one has a lot of meaning for me. That's really cool. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a very cool story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious about uh, kind of how you developed and started carrying that name as your own person in the world. Uh, and especially once you found yourself in a foreign country. Uh, what did that, what, what does Anthony Renato living in Korea look like? <laughs> what, what lessons did you learn over there? Oh man. Um, humility, I think for the, for the, for the most part, I think, you know, in the West here in, in America, we have so much privilege, opportunity, mm -hmm. things like that. Right. Um, and so when you go to another country and you immerse yourself in their culture and you understand the way that people live and live differently and have different traditions, beliefs, values, that kind of stuff, um, it allows you to just understand the world a little differently. So I thought that was really cool. And one of the, the coolest things that I learned about going there and I tried to 
my, not only my name, but you know, I was representing America, the yeah. United States, like that kind of stuff. And, and in Korea, sometimes there was some negative connotation with that, you know? So I felt pride to be like, no, this is, this is the way we are in America. You know, it's okay. Not, or not everybody's like the way that you thought it was, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So I tried to show up a little differently and embrace their culture and enjoy it. And I think they, they respected that a lot. And it was, and it was a really enjoyable experience for me because of that. That's really neat. Yeah, it was so cool. On embracing their culture, did you bring back any of Korea with you? Meditation, big time, like just like understanding um, spirituality and how religion, you know, sh- takes different place, uh, takes shape in different cultures and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just going to a lot of different monasteries and, you know, meeting monks and, and going to different temples and things like that was really eye opening for me. I'd always appreciated or understood meditation and understood it was a little different, but I think I had a like a lot of intimidation around it yeah. and not understanding. And so that just kind of went away when I was out there. So let's explore that a bit. The very first time that I, I met you, you were talking about mindfulness, or yeah. not mindfulness, I think it was mental health. Yeah. Uh, and that's also the very first thing that comes up on your website. How does mindfulness or meditation and all of that tie in, if it does, to mental health? Yeah. And kind of what did you learn uh, while you were overseas? Yeah. Uh, what would you share with the audience about that? So for me, even when I was playing baseball, I always felt like training, pitching, whatever it was, developed from a mindset, right? And it was back then what I was taught was mental toughness, you know, yeah. mental fortitude. It was just pushing through things, getting through tough times, that kind of stuff. Rub some dirt in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, that mindset. Yeah. So I always appreciated that. And I felt like I, I had a chip on my shoulder about like, I was like, I, I don't, and this is going to sound arrogant, but I was like, mm-hmm. my mind is different. Like I'm, I'm different. I'm built different. And I think that little bit of arrogance, that little bit of cockiness or whatever it was carried me and allowed me to do things in baseball that I probably shouldn't even have done, you know, because <laughs> movement wise, I wasn't, my mechanics weren't very good. I wasn't very efficient, but I felt like I got through stuff and I battled and I was very psychological and like that kind of stuff, you know, so I enjoyed the mental side of the game. And I even took my training from a pr- an approach of like the brain first, right? If mm-hmm. your brain isn't healthy, like it's not going to send signals throughout your body to be able to perform the movements that you need. So to me... Now that baseball is done, I don't need to perform movements as much, you know, so meticulously, but I do need to run a business. I need to manage people. I need to understand people. I need to have emotional intelligence. So mental health and your brain functioning properly is critically important during that. So to me, mental health and and brain functionality, brain health is really, really important. And even just understanding different parts of your brain, what they do, what meditation does. Um, and understanding your emo- emotions and responses and how that affects people. Um, that's kind of the, the approach that I take with it nowadays and, and why it's so important to me. On a practical level, what can people do to try to maintain that mental fitness or toughness or health or whatever? How I think I think in today's world where everything is go, go, go and immediate gratification, I think being able to take the time, I don't want to say meditate, but like mm-hmm. take some time to yourself. Meditation takes so many different forms. And I think we get caught up in like, I need to sit down and I need to close my eyes and meditate and be quiet. But meditation can be drawing, can be working out. It can be any kind of singular focus on one thing. In today's world where my phone's going off 15 <laughs> times, you're yeah. talking to me, there's things going on, there's a bar, my attention's everywhere, right? But the ability to ground myself and stay focused in this conversation and be present stems from all those other exercises that I do throughout the day that where I focus on my singular focus, you know? So I would say taking 10 to 
I don't want to say 10 to 15 minutes is a lot of time. I think, I think if you start off three to five minutes a day and you can really just focus on your breath or, Hey, for the next three minutes, I'm just going to put my phone upside down. I'm just going <laughs> to sit in the car and just have a few, you know, like where I don't think about anything and just have a moment. I think we, we forget about that stuff in today's world where it's go, go, go. You're on your phones, comparing yourself, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff and feeling like you need to perform all the time. Um, so I think the practical thing would be just to take some time to yourself and understand like what slows you down. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know if I didn't take a few minutes every now and then to just, uh, ideally once a day, but realistically not always, right, right. <laughs> just to focus on the breath and ground myself, I'd probably go insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate that. Uh, after Major League Baseball, uh, so what did that transition to the business world look like? So when I was playing ball, I I'd made some angel investments. I watched Shark Tank a lot, you know, so I felt like I was a business person. I knew I wanted mm-hmm. to be involved in business. Um, but when baseball was over, it was when I was like, all right, cool. Like, there's really nothing else going on. I got to do some stuff. So I wrote, you know, a, a few more checks and I made some small angel investments. But I didn't like that because I wasn't involved in the business. I didn't I didn't have as much say. I didn't have as much control. And not that I needed control, but if I was going to be helping fund a business, I I wanted to be able to communicate with the, you know, management, ownership, that kind of stuff. And I realized that you're just unless you, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's tough to do that, right? So the transition kind of lied of like, I want to be in control. And if I'm going to put my money to work, I want to be kind of in in control of that. So um, that's when F45 came around. I was doing my podcast and I was like, man, this is a really cool opportunity. And I always said that if I was going to start a business, I wanted to be able to make money where I was helping people and something that I was passionate about. So F45 checked all those boxes for me. Um, and that was like kind of the first no brainer that I was like, let's, let's start this and jump into this. Okay. Well, that's cool. And so I noticed when I was looking at all the different things that you'd invested in, uh, like so many fitness things, a pizza place. Oh yeah. Uh, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So what strategy, if, if there is a strategy or if it's just gut feel, what does that look like for you seeing an investment opportunity and then diving into it? What's the process there? I would say at 32 years old, it's a lot different than it was when I was 24, you know, and <laughs> 24, I was making a lot of money. I had a yeah. lot of money and, you know, it was just a different world. So I was young and dumb and ambitious and arrogant. Right. So I had a lot of people that I had in my place telling me, hey, this might not be the best investment. Might but I had to make that decision. I had to make the mistakes. Even I had to go through the hard shit to to understand, hey, this stings. I don't like this. This mm-hmm. is not good. You know, um, I don't know. So it was it was there was a lot of factors that that went into those decisions. But at the time, it was gut feels. Right. It was things that I felt I was passionate about. felt like I had some connection to. Right. So my first one that I invested in, in 2011 was called Diamond Nation, which is yeah. baseball and softball academy in New Jersey. Right. And this guy was Jack Cust was kind of my mentor in baseball, got me a scholarship, you know, helped me with all this stuff and navigating through the MLB draft. And he had started this business. It made, you know, it, was, it just made a ton of sense, sense for me, right? Um, the next one that I invested in was Marucci Sports here in Baton Rouge. It was 2014. I just made my major league debut and they were looking, it was, it, that's a bat and sporting good company here in town. Um, and so they were looking to develop gloves and, and kind of develop a different side of their apparel line. And I thought that I, you know, just made to major leagues. I was in Boston. I was mm-hmm. a number, you know, three starter as a rookie. There was a lot of eyes and attention on me. I felt like I could influence the, the company a little bit, you know, yeah. almost like with me wearing it as one of the main pitchers for Boston, like that investment into that company would be worthwhile because I felt like I could help sell product and move the move the needle a little bit, right? So that's why I invested in Marucci and why I was so passionate about that and the quality of their gloves. Like I just felt like there was 
an innovation opportunity there where I was like, man, this is, this is really cool. If you guys can develop this the same way you've developed the bat line of things, like this is going to take off. Um, and then the other stuff was more just like, I need to take some action, right? Like when I was done playing ball was the pizza place was an opportunity <laughs> and there was, yeah. I knew that I knew the entrepreneur and I was like, okay, this is a, and it was, and it was smaller money, right? From comparatively yeah. to some of my other investments and things like that. Um, so it was a little less risky, but there was a ton of opportunity to learn and grow from it. And that was, that was probably my worst investment. Actually, I don't know. I wasn't. I've had three, two or three bad investments. But okay. um, like I said, the lessons that I've learned from that were, were so, so incredible and helped me so much with that 45. And like even just tough conversations because I learned things, you know, like, I don't know. It was just, it made sense. And I understood why I had to go through that to like be able to have other successful businesses. Is it safe to say F45 is the investment you have right now that you're most excited about? Or would it be something else? I think cards and culture is probably the one that I'm most excited about. Mm -hmm. F45 is, I guess it's, 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 it depends on how you define success, right? But I mean, from the most part, from numbers, if you look at numbers, F45 is by far the best like investment, profitability-wise, yeah. revenue-wise. Cards and culture makes the most revenue, but I haven't figured out how to make it profitable. And that yes. the, that's the fun part about business, but also the challenging part, right? So to me, that's the most exciting part right now is that's truly my baby. Nice. I'm, in, I'm in control of that. I don't have the corporate you know, thing over my head and it's, I win or lose. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You gotta see your baby grow. Exactly. Or it, or it fucking fails. And like, yeah. and I get, it's on my shoulders, you <laughs> yeah, know, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Right. Like, and, and that's the thing that's exciting to me is I like that. I like that pressure. I like the ability to be able to affect that and in, in good or bad. Right. So that's know, good. Fun. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so on cards and culture. So <laughs> I have had multiple people, uh, just, I think just this past week, tell me how much they hate NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't understand them. Yes, because they don't understand them and they see horrifically ugly artwork and people- <laughs> Making millions of dollars. Yeah, and people yes. running off with a, a giant cash bag over I get their shoulder. I get it, I get it. Uh, so <laughs> kind of what is, what is your take on the current state of NFTs and then what's the value that you see uh, inside of those? I wasn't, you know, I was, in 2000, I was 11 years old, 10 years old, right? But that was the internet bubble and, and stuff like that. Pets.com was worth $6 billion at one point. And that's right? a thriving business today. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So that's kind of what I compare this moment in time like, yeah. right? 94 to 2000 ish, right? In this time that there was this new technology that's available to us that we can't even comprehend of how it's going to apply in our lives in the future, right? Mm -hmm. There, You go back in history and you see how much People hate it on the internet. They were so scared of it. They didn't understand it, right? And I think that's what NFT technology is today. I don't even know if we're going to call it NFTs 10 years from now, yeah. right? It's just, to me, it's the underlining technology. The same way we called it the World Wide Web and yeah. all the different <laughs> things, right, for it. And now we call it a smartphone. It's just a phone, right? I think this NFT technology is going to develop into a system that we just all adopt. And the way that, I don't know, there's a ledger system that provides... Um, credibility and, and visibility and decentralization that um, I think is just human behavior over time. So I think it's, it's really, again, hard to conceptualize right now, but I think it's the underlying technology that we're going to use. Yeah, I, I like that. Sense. And I, no, I agree with that. Okay. So 10 years from now, uh, I wake up, uh, I pull out my smartphone. How might I use an NFT in day-to-day -day, uh, life? I think we would maybe NFT this event. The little tickets that you gave me to go get my bar thing mm -hmm. might be an NFT where we say, hey, guys, you know, we got, we're having a startup grind um, next week at, at Tin Roof. Here's the drop. 
you know, there's gonna be 100 seats available, so we're gonna open up the drop at, you know, Monday at 6 p.m., there's only 100 seats available, get your NFT ticket. So you go mint an NFT, it's in your wallet, and then you come here and you, hey Joshua, this is my NFT. Oh cool, that gets you two drinks at the bar, just show it to the bartender, he scans it, it's now in the code. And then there's art, like the startup grind, the logo, yeah. there's different things. Maybe you had an artist collaborate on it, you know, and the hundred pieces have some sort of collectability factor and be like, oh, that was the event that Anthony Renato spoke at. Not that I'm you know, yeah. really mad, but like, you know what I'm saying? If you had a big name person here that you'd be like, oh dude, that was the event, you were at that too? Like, yeah, exactly. And so that to me is the thing. It's, it's more the utility. How are you gonna use it? And it's gonna get you access to things. Um, and then I think there's gonna be a small collectability factor afterwards. And, and I really think it's gonna be more for like ticketed events, like yes. you know, the same way that you might hold on to the ticket from the earthquake game at LSU Stadium because it was like, oh, an iconic moment. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I think we're gonna use NFTs to be like, man, I was at this game, here it is in my wallet. Like, look at all the other LSU games that I went to, you know, and here's all my tickets and stuff like that. And we're gonna connect on that. And we're, I might follow you because you also went to a bunch of LSU baseball games and I see that on your public wallet. And now I think we're friends or we're connecting or we have some sort of commonality and stuff. So I don't know, that's the way that I see it going. And in the collectible space, that's why I'm like dipping into it because I just need to learn about it and understand it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's, it's less flashy than a, a board monkey, but it's... <laughs> but is a board monkey even flashy? I don't even know. The only somehow, reason it's flashy? Somehow, yes. Yeah, because it's worth $500,000. That's, yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah, that's yeah. What, I mean, that's what it is. It's creating value. Exactly. We're doing all that ticket stuff next month, right, Kajar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Sure, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> he's like, Again, no. we can't conceptualize it. Yeah. Can you imagine telling your dad when you were 10 years old, hey dad, I'm gonna have this little device and I'm gonna be able to call you when I'm in Korea and we're gonna have a full conversation face to face. He'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he'd be like, I can't, no, what, how would that even yeah. happen? Right, you can't, even, you, can't concept, you can't conceptualize it. So that's why I'm like, again, I could be totally wrong, but I think NFT technology is here and we're gonna use it in ways that we can't even, like I'm, I don't even know. No, I agree. Yeah. The technology comes before the use cases. No one knew what the internet was gonna do in 2000. Yeah. But or, I mean, look at Instagram too. The, the, the whole point we, or at least I downloaded Instagram because somebody was like, yo, you can put these filters on. And I'm like, what the hell is a filter? And it was like, <laughs> I don't know, go download the app. And that's a filter now, you know? And it was like, okay. And that was the first way that we use it. But now it's like, we use Instagram to find out who you are as a person. Let me go find out about you, your family, what you like, your interests, how you post, your style, right? All these yeah. different things. So it has a different medium in the way that we utilize it. Okay. Interesting. I like that. And I see you have, so I read a blog post from you a while ago, another tangent, uh, talking about auras versus whoops. <laughs> what is it? Aura versus whoop? whoop? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have a whoop on now, right? Yep. How do you, uh, I would say, how do you use technology uh, to enhance your personal life instead of distracting from mental health? Wow. What does that look like? That's a great question. First and foremost, I mean, the whoop is, is one piece that I use, but I'm going to talk about social media first and the phones. Yeah, please. Um, and I always say this too, I curate my social media feeds. And I know that sounds crazy, but right, the phones know us, the algorithm, algorithms know us. Literally to the point, I don't know if you guys have watched The Great Hack on, on, on Netflix, but if, if you haven't, you should. It tells you all about how they're tracking literally everything that we do on our phone. To the point that when I'm scrolling on Instagram, <laughs> when I stop and pause for 1.2 seconds versus when I look at 1.1 seconds, they're taking that into account and they're filtering more stuff that's like that one that I spent more time on, right? So I curate my feed by the ads that I get, the things that I engage with, the accounts that I follow, the things that I like, like all these different mm -hmm. things. And I'm really only curating things that are educational, motivational, inspirational. That's, that's kind of like my corny little like thing, but 
at the same time, if I go to my explore page, I know what they're trying to tempt me to do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's really quick. But if I go back to my feed, it's all workout stuff. It's all card stuff. It's all educational stuff. And so if I'm going to be, if I'm going to disconnect for 10 minutes and I'm going to scroll, it's going to be all stuff that applies to my life, that benefits my life, that is educational to me, not stuff that's going to be like, man, I should have that mansion in Malibu. Like <laughs> I, I played baseball. Like I should have made a hundred million. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's easy for me to fall into that category into that moment. So it's on me to curate my feed and my social media and that kind of stuff. So that's the first thing that I do with technology is kind of curating my social media feeds to, to me and, and the things that I want to do in life. And then, yeah, utilizing little things like this of, all right, when I meditate, I calculate that. I add it. I understand my breathing patterns. I understand mm -hmm. how it affected my recovery, how it's going to affect my sleep that night. Um, and then also too, I'm, I'm a gym owner, right? So I like to work out. I like to do different things. Um, but sleep's really important to me. So I use this to kind of calculate exactly how much sleep I'm getting, where I'm at mentally the next day, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's really cool. And you're a certified breath instructor, right? I am. I am. <laughs> okay, I am. So that was the thing that caught <laughs> like, me what off guard. What is that? Yeah. What is yeah, that? So, uh, you, own or you own or invest in multiple businesses, <laughs> but you took time out of your day to become a certified breath instructor. Yes. Can, you walk, can you walk me through like what made you do that? Uh, takeaway for uh, people in the audience. Yeah. What does that look like? Um, I just, I like learning. I, li I love challenging myself. Um, and when I came across this, this teacher that, that I met, Dr. Belisa Vronich, mm -hmm. I'd never been introduced to things like that in the sense of breathing is so invol involuntary, right? We don't even yeah. think about it every single day. Well, now yet, I'm thinking about it. Right. <laughs> yet our mechanics, most of us, most of our mechanics of breathing are pretty irregular. So when I understood how improper I was breathing, I was like, if I made it to the major leagues breathing like this, and I didn't know this, how many other people don't know this, right? So it was something that I was passionate about that I was like, man, this is really cool information. And if it helped me, I would love to help other people. So that's kind of where the instructor part of it came. Um, and she really just challenged me. Like I kind of reached out to her and she was like, no, you need to be an instructor. You need to do this. You need to blah, blah, blah. So I, that's kind of what made me go down that road. But as I opened up F45, it was really cool for me to incorporate a lot of that stuff into the workouts and teach people how to breathe properly and use their nasal breathing mm -hmm. versus mouth breathing and things like that. Um, and little strategies just throughout the day that help you calm your nervous system. And, and, and again, in today's world, and we opened the gym during COVID and all that stuff, like oh, man. it was absolutely incredible timing. So it worked out well for me. Yeah. Oh, COVID. <laughs> so with uh, all of the decline in mental health that happened thanks to COVID, uh, what's one step people can do to reclaim, especially entrepreneurs, like yeah. people are crazy busy, they're stressed. How can people reclaim a bit, a slice of sanity? Is there anything you've done personally to do that? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I feel like it's the same things that I'm saying, you know, but taking time to yourself and understanding yourself, self-awareness. So, and, and that's the thing that I love about meditation is you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about what makes you tick, the things that are going on inside, right? Mm -hmm. Your behaviors are just a reflection of kind of the things that are going on internally and stuff like that. So I think those, those things of just understanding, I don't need to be places, I don't need to go, I don't you know, need to do those things because it was a fixed mindset type thing um, have, have definitely helped me. So just taking time to myself, and again, I know I keep saying the same stuff, but finding things that are true to you that you're passionate about like even workouts for me for 45 minutes are a meditation it's time that i put my phone down i'm just focused on one single thing 
whether it's that movement that I'm doing for 35 seconds right now, you know, mm-hmm. and for 45 minutes, I'm in that world. And that kind of just allows me to eliminate everything else. Right. So I don't know little things like that, where you can just find moments where you can separate yourself from everything else that's going on. That's good. Uh, let's take a bit of a side tangent. So, yeah. so you have a podcast, the, yeah. the up and in show. Yep. Uh, first question, is it a Narnia reference? Is it what? Narnia? It, yes. No, it is not a Narnia reference. <laughs> okay. What is the reference to Narnia there? There's a scene in the last battle yeah. where uh, it talks about going further upward and further in. Nice. No, I did not know. That's okay. Cool. That, so I was but wondering. Now that you say that, that's kind of the premise behind it. So when I was pitching, right, I was always trying to go down and away with a fastball, mm-hmm. but I sucked. So I was always <laughs> up and in. So like that was kind of the thing was I was always up and in with my fastball. But then like as you and I are sitting down, I want to get up and in your mind. Like what made yeah. you want to start, be part of the startup grind? Like what makes you you? What makes you job? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm up and in the mind of of my guests. So it was a little little play on. So this is kind of the same yeah, thought. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it played on Narnia. I'll, I'll take the credit. Fa- for that. Yeah, we'll, we'll roll with it. It was, it was Narnia. Yeah, it was Narnia. Yeah. Okay. And then what's one of the lessons that you learned from, I don't know if that's a weekly or monthly thing or what type of content schedule, but what's something that you learn from interviewing high-performing people? Their habits. I think, I think, I think what I've taken away is people that are highly successful have routines, have things that they're consistent with, things that they're are non-negotiables, right? And like this, this is a cheesy line, but Tony Robbins always says like, I don't negotiate with my mind. And I feel like a lot of the successful people that I know are like, no, this is what I do every day. I wake up at 7 a.m. This Mm -hmm. is what I do. I have four kids and I go to work and I do this. And then I come home and I'm the dad, right? Or I'm the mom, I do like, and I was like, that's what I've taken away is there's no outside noise for the ultra successful. Like they have their vision, they have their their plan and they mm-hmm. execute their plan. And that's to me is I think one of the things that stood out the most. For you, how much of that was a wired this way versus a, you kind of trained yourself to do this? In business? A or like in routine. Ooh. Yeah. I think I'm wired to be in a routine. I love routine. I really do. Um, it was actually more, I, I got too routine at times where I became too rigid. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So I think there's a happy medium of finding comfortability in your routine, but being able to be fluid and flexible and, and be able to adapt to change and adversity and things like that. So it wasn't always natural for me to, to be able to be more fluid because I was more routine. So for you, it's more, you're naturally on the routine side. Other people, uh, did you maybe see other people that had to adapt to that routine? Yes. Or, okay, so there's kind of a spectrum. Yes. And I think, I, and, it, and the thing that was cool for me was I appreciated people who didn't have that structure and that routine. And I'd be like, wait, how does that work for you? You know, so like <laughs> that, that was fun for me to like literally understand that and be like, oh, okay, that's the way it works. And it also helps me become more fluid, become more, you know, adept to uh, dealing with adversity and things like that. So that's the thing that, that I like about my podcast too. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So I'm a bit of insight. So I'm, I'm more wired into the, uh, having to force myself into routine mm-hmm. rather than having to force myself into fluidity. Yeah. Uh, what's I'm jealous. <laughs> it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And um, grass is always greener, right? The grass is yeah. always, always greener. greener. No matter what planet you're on. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you had one routine aspect, maybe that you picked up throughout doing that and interacting with other people that have great, uh, morning or otherwise routines, what's something that you've added? or that you have as a routine factor that uh, you would evangelize for? So something that was added to my routine? Yeah, sure. Man, I gotta think about this. Or favorite aspect of your 
a current routine if it's hard to think of something that yeah yeah I think my favorite aspect is like the ability to separate myself from, hey, I have this, this, and this today, and these are my main, you know, important things that I need to accomplish, but my workout is at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. I think looking forward to being like, oh, this is my 45 minutes to not worry about this, this, and this, right? So I think the ability to be present during those off times of, hey, the main focus is this today, but you have three or four other things to enjoy that to be fluid, to be flexible, to not worry about that stuff. And like, it's almost like my mindset. So like today I was working or yesterday I was working out Yeah. and I had two, I had two big meetings and I caught myself, you know, after an exercise or two thinking about the meetings and what I was going to say, visualizing. And I literally caught myself and I was like, man, you got, you have all day to, to be in that, in that world. Yeah. Like this is your world right now. Just be here. And that's kind of like, just brought me back. And I was like, I looked up at the screen. I was like, all right, cool. 16 seconds, you know, whatever the exercise was. And it just brought me back to that moment and allowed me to stay there. So that's the kind of stuff that I, that I think I enjoy that I didn't do before. Right. So I would have just sat there during the workout and thought yeah. about for 15 minutes about, okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to be like this. And then sure enough, if that meeting comes and that person doesn't show up or it doesn't go that way, and then my whole routine is thrown off, right? Exactly. So I kind of backtracked to like, be like, no, just enjoy this moment. You don't even have to think right now. It's good. So almost like, I feel like this keeps coming up as mindfulness. Yeah. A, a sense of like living in the moment, whether that's working out uh, or whether that's uh, killing it in that meeting that's coming yes. up after the workout. Exactly. And even too, just like right before I sat up here, right? I had my business partner text me. I forgot something that I needed to send him at two o'clock today. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, I was sitting there and I was like, God damn, like I was mad at myself. And uh-huh. I was like, you know, and I was like, but it's all right. Like, here we go. Like, I'm going to text him this. I'm going to say this. And then I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to be present for the next hour and a half. Right. Like, or whatever. And so I totally forgot about it until I just brought it up to you right now. But that's, yeah. the, that's, those are the things that I'm talking about is like the ability to drop the things that are, that your brain is trying to tell you are so important and so like whatever, but this is actually the most important thing. Cause it's the only thing that I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know? So like, why would my brain be somewhere else and be distracting me? You know? Turn off the monkey in your brain. Exactly. And, yeah. Focusing on what's present. Yep. Uh, so we've talked a good amount about how individuals can have mental health or uh, kind of ground themselves in the present moment. Uh, for a community, um, do you think there's a way that someone can lead a community to be more healthy, uh, to be more grounded or in the present? What does that look like? Hmm. Or is there a path forward for that? Yeah. I think if a leader is going to do that, they have to understand everybody's individual, right? So everybody's story is going to be individual. Everybody's stress response system is going to be individual. You can't have a cookie cutter approach to everybody. Yeah. Um, and so that would, that's what to me is what I would say is take time to understand people, be compassionate, you know, understand their journey, that kind of stuff. So that way you have the best tools to be able to equip them what they need for their life, not what you think is best for them. You know, that kind of stuff. What does that look like for, uh, let's say cards and culture Yeah. or F45, either one. You're talking about customers or like mainly employee? team. Okay. Team. Customers too, if that applies. Yeah. But I think, I think I'm happy you said team because it's more, team. yeah, it's more about understanding your personnel. Right. So like, and also understanding the effect that I have on them too. Yeah. So a big thing that I'm focusing on with cards and culture is the fear of failure. I'm almost like pushing fear of failure. I have this one employee who she's a rock star. She's 21, 22 years old. She just graduated, uh, summa cum laude i don't even know how to say but summa cum laude <laughs> yeah, super, top yeah. 10 in her class you know like super smart way smarter than me um but she's so she's so scared to make a mistake and i'm like i'm like yo 
I don't want to say her name. But yeah, I'm like, yeah. you have to fail. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I promise you. Like, and, and I promise you, like, going through that failure will teach you so much more. And she's, like, afraid to send emails or ask questions. And I'm like, the only way that you're going to get feedback is by learning. And, it's, and I promise you, it's not as scary as you think. And you're probably way better at everything that you think you're not good at, right? But she yeah. wants to hold herself to the standard. And she thinks I have these expectations. And I'm like, my only expectation is that you try. That's it. Like, yeah. I can give you feedback and be like, that didn't work. And here's why we can fix it, you know, like, but you need to go through that mistake to understand that your boss is going to put his arm around you and be like, it's okay. We'll figure it out. Here's the learning opportunity. Not you suck. You're fired. Get out of here. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think that, I think that's important and understanding that, you know what I'm saying? Like it's real. Yeah. You're going to mess up shit along the way. <laughs> exactly. And it's okay. It's not something we want to breed. Right. And be like, yeah. oh, we're a bunch of fuck ups, but we are going to mess up. Like we're going to mess it's up. Human. It's human, right? And and I think me playing baseball allowed me to learn that lesson. And that's why I'm so passionate about it with my people. I'm like, guys, if I was a hitter and I hit three out of 10 times for a 30% average, I'd be in the hall of fame. That's the best our game ever did, which means you're walking back to the dugout seven out of 10 times. That's pretty damn good. Failing, <laughs> yeah. Like, so you got to learn how to fail, but accept it as success, right? So like to me, I have that kind of ingrained in me, but now it's important to pass that on to everybody else. And that like goes a long way, I think, in, in, in like the team aspect. Have you had any team members really embrace that mindset? I have one team member who really Hell loves yeah. me now. She's, and she's like, she's like yeah. I fucked up. And I'm like, yes, let's go. Okay, wow. Yeah, I'm like, how? Okay, what's the learning opportunity here? Why did you mess up? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, that, and that's good. So it's a little bit of a joke where we drop down the wall, but that's what I want because yeah. I don't want them to be scared and be like, oh man, I messed up. I don't know how to tell Anthony. Like, and they're looking over their shoulder, you know, like that's, that's not a healthy environment. I don't want that. Like it's, I mess up all the time, <laughs> like all the time. Like, yeah. and that's what I tell them. And, and I was like, how many times have I spoken to you and you guys got uncomfortable, right? Like that's a mess up. Like a, a boss should understand his people, you know, and that kind of stuff. And it's okay to mess up. You guys don't hate me because of it or, you know, maybe you do, but, <laughs> but you guys don't show it all the time. You yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. So. They're in the background drawing like exactly. they're way hating. Yeah. Oh, 100% texting each other. Like, yeah. sucks. No, it feels so good when people are feel safe to own right. mistakes. That's a very powerful thing. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let's go through so a bit of a speed round. Let's do it. Okay. So favorite book and or movie and why? I don't know if you're a reader or a movie watcher uh, or both. I'm, I'm both. But a book is going to be way too hard to pick for me because I, I love reading. Or just one that's on your mind. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go movie. Okay. Um, Shawshank Redemption. That's one of my favorites. Why? The storytelling. Morgan Freeman, I think is just like, I don't know. It's just amazing to me. I need to watch me some Shawshank. You never watched it? <laughs> no, I've never seen Shawshank. I need to go watch it. Yeah, it's older. It's older. It's probably, yeah, it's, it's all right. So, okay. It's a good one. Uh, you get a billboard uh, that everyone in the world can see. What message do you put on it? Be kind. Be treat kind. People, treat people the I don't want to say like the corny, like treat people the way you want to be treated, but treat people well. Like that's, that's important to me. I think, and that's, like I said, it goes so many levels, but be kind, treat people well. If the world internalized that, that would be such yeah. a, I think, I think kindness is, world. I think, I, honestly, I think kindness is in our nature as humans. I really do. Yeah. I think our fear systems and society and, and all these different things, you know, pull us in different ways and take us away from an abundance mindset. I really do. That's, that's what I believe. So. I agree. There's a lot of things that bring out yeah. the good in people. I agree. There's a lot of things that push them towards not that. Yep. <laughs> Just depends on the environment. Exactly. Uh, if people in our community want to stay in touch or follow your work, uh, what does that look like? 
Um, with cards and culture yeah, yeah. or with you or either yeah, way? Yeah, cards and culture is really easy. Like it's literally like all our social media is cards and culture. Our website is cardsandculture.com. Um, and then my name's Anthony Renato. Uh, I can you know, spell that out yeah. for you guys, but it's <laughs> Anthony underscore Renato, R-A-N-A-U-D-O. Um, but that's, a, I guess, the best ways to, to do that. Yeah, I'm on all mo- most social media, all that stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Let's have a round of applause for Anthony. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.